back to the Draft Network's Draft Week coverage. Chris Schubert, Kyle Krabs, Joel Marino in the pre-show to the Battle of the Boards, and that's what we're doing here today. Kyle said he had a sneeze. Joel almost dropped his laptop, so buckle up. This is going to be a fun, fun 40 minutes or so because it is here. Battle of the Boards, the offense edition. We are just going to do offensive players today. We will do the defensive players tomorrow. Is that all right with you, gentlemen? I feel like we're obligated to do the whole... Game of Thrones. Da, 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 I didn't get right? a what's better than this either. Can I? Guys. There it is. Okay. Right, well, I got to. Officially ready to start battle. Yeah, I got a part way. I got a halfway in. <laughs> I, I, they put me in the middle on this one. There was a production decision of, hey, Chris, you're going to be in the middle on this one. I think it was to keep you guys apart because there could be some heated discussion. I'm just here yep. to moderate. I'm just here to, if somebody gets out of line, to step in. This is you guys. Battle of the boards. Yeah. We're going to go position by position. So start with the quarterbacks. So, Kyle, when I look at the quarterbacks and I compare the way I stack this class and the way that you stack the class, I don't see a whole lot different, right? We have pretty much the same order. But what I do see a difference is in that I have the quarterbacks, the top quarterbacks graded a little higher, right? Every one of our, our, our players gets a numerical grade. And I seem to like every one of these quarterbacks just a little bit higher than you. How do you feel about this quarterbacks class? Are you is Trevor Lawrence an elite number one overall prospect every year, or do you feel like maybe there's a little bit more hype to this class than what is deserved? Well, I think the expectations surrounding Trevor Lawrence are going to be extremely difficult for Trevor to meet with consistency because he's been at Clemson for three years as the starter, and he took over as a, a true freshman and took him to the national championship. So. Uh, he kind of has this aura about him as a prospect and you look at his entire body work and it's fun. You know, it's everything that you're expecting with a number one overall pick at quarterback. But I was surprised when I watched him in 2020 in the way that they structured their offense, the style of offense that they played and how heavily they leaned into RPOs and quick throws and screens and yak. And uh, so the comparison to Andrew Luck is where I get lost with Trevor Lawrence. I don't really see an Andrew Luck style passer based on the kind of offense that Andrew Luck ran at Stanford versus what we've seen Trevor Lawrence run with the Clemson Tigers. So uh, maybe that's part of the reason, maybe I'm a victim to the hype of Trevor mm -hmm. Lawrence a little bit, but he's my number one graded right. player. He's a, he's a top 10 grade in this year's class. We mm -hmm. one of those top 10 valuations, which are designed by the way that we grade and evaluate players to be extremely difficult to acquire. Mm -hmm. Number one player, top 10 valuation. There's nothing more you could ask for for a top quarterback prospect. If I'm looking for some comfort in Trevor Lawrence, because you bring up some good points, right? This is a guy who's been a hot shot recruit, went to Clemson, won all the games, national championship, college football playoffs every single year. I think it's really difficult to meet those moments. Like, sure, he hasn't faced a lot of adversity. He didn't come into a situation where he had to, you know, work his way up the depth chart or have bad games where he had to really just cling to his job, right? That didn't happen, but... The fact that he came in as such a high-profile guy and then met the moment year after year after year, despite not necessarily facing a ton of adversity, it gives me some comfort that for the Jacksonville Jaguars, who we assume he's going to be playing for, that he can meet those expectations at the next level. And so I recognize what you're saying about the offense. It's just you know, I, Trevor Lawrence, I have a 94. You have 91.5. Justin Fields, I have 89.5. You have 88.5. Zach Wilson, I'm a half a point or two and a half points higher. Yep. Not a math guy. Even Trey Lance, I'm a little bit higher on, on him than you. So the it, it just feels like collectively 
I'm a little higher on this crop of quarterbacks than you are. Well, and I'd like to interject there because that's a really good point about why I'm glad we as a group evaluate players the way that we do in that, you know, everybody's definition of what a 90 based on the, the uh, criteria that we have set in place is, is going to be a little different. Mm-hmm. So we have with our group collectively cross-checked these players, graded them each individually and then taking the consensus, and that's how we come to when you go to the draftnetwork.com, those consensus rankings are a collective effort because imagine if we were grading like different positions, right? Mm-hmm. And like a 90 for me versus a 90 for you is something totally different, and we didn't have that cross check opportunity, then that's where you would start to see irregularities and inconsistencies that maybe just bridge the gap where, like you said, you look down through here. You are collectively higher on almost everybody besides Kellen Mond mm-hmm. by the slightest of margins mm-hmm. and a day three quarterback in Sam Ellinger. Right. Out of the quarterbacks that we collectively looked at between the two of us, and there were 12 that we mutually scouted between the two of us this year, plus I watched uh, a handful of other guys. Brady Davis is one of the guys mm-hmm. that I watched that you didn't get a chance to watch, and I don't know if you had a chance to check out any of the other guys that maybe I didn't yeah. get a chance to watch. I'm sure so. you missed out on the wonderful tape that is Brady White at, at, at Memphis. You do Garrett, yeah. uh, Jared Garantano? Oh, gosh. Um, you know what? I've done enough Jared Garantano to know that <laughs> so, we could probably hold off so on that. So yeah. one thing that I do think is important because we're just doing offense today yeah. is to kind of just walk everybody through, like, what do you want to do, top fives and just yeah. acknowledge the top. When you get down into the day three stuff, and, and we both have – not math guys, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven quarterbacks with day one or two grades yep. in evaluation. So maybe we just identify who those guys are, what order we have them in. Uh, it looks like we have just one difference between our respective rankings, uh, one through seven, uh, that being where we have Kellen Mond slotted. Yeah, and so the difference would be that you have Mond. Kellen Mond at 77. So he was your quarterback five, five, and I have him at six. So yeah. hot take, you have... Kellen Mond ahead of Mac Jones. I do. I think he's a little more traitsy. Mac Jones, uh, it's really hard to quantify with how much of what the appeal is with Mac Jones is based off of football intelligence and the mastery of his offense. But uh, we were just talking today with Benjamin Solak about uh, contextualized quarterbacking and what that data indicates for Mac Jones specifically. And we talk a lot about quarterbacks who are capable of winning outside of structure and how that helps them bridge the gap when they transition to the NFL to be able to make successful plays and have some success while they get better at playing within the means of structure. Mac Jones, in my opinion, doesn't give you any of that whatsoever. And and Mac Jones had a phenomenal supporting cast around him, whereas Kellen Mond uh, was not throwing to the caliber of players or giving the ball to to the caliber of of players that Mac Jones was at any position across the field. So Mac Jones gives me a little bit of those questions, whereas Kellen Mond was not as consistent, not as productive, but a experienced quarterback that has some tools that I would like to work with if I was going to try and take a shot on a late day two quarterback, which is where I had both of those guys graded. As odd as it may seem, I'm going to bring up Patrick Mahomes. And the reason is because it plays into what you said there about Kellen Mond and that opportunity to play outside of structure and then reel it in. If you remember Patrick Mahomes year one, year two, I mean, obviously he's been phenomenal every time he's stepped on a football field, but his game has changed. And I don't think we talk enough about it where Patrick Mahomes first year as a starter, a lot of drifting in the pocket, a lot of, you know, really keeping plays alive, making these super creative throws on the field. And he still does that. 
but his ability to win within structure and be able to make more subtle moves to extend plays and work the shorter areas of the field. He's not just launching it down the field all the time. He's really working every area on the field, and he's become a more complete player. Maybe he doesn't have the same production at this point as he did in his first couple seasons as a starter, but I think he's become a more effective and more complete quarterback. So just to put a bow on this quarterback discussion, Trevor Lawrence is our collective quarterback one for both of us. Yes. Justin Fields is each of our quarterback two. Zach Wilson is quarterback three for yep. both of us. Trey Lance is quarterback four for both of us. You have Mac Jones, QB5 by a slight margin. I have Kellen Mond with the same evaluation grade as Mac Jones, but if I had to choose one, I would take a guy who's a little bit more yep. traitsy in Kellen Mond. I bet our friends at Bet Online have some great lines regarding quarterbacks in the 2021 NFL draft. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports action. The football season is over, but NBA, MLB, NHL, all in full swing right now. Bet Online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV with real time updated odds and props on almost anything that you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all of the new scores and odds. It is the best way to place your bets, plus, it's free to sign up. So head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with promo code LOCKED ON. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. No, 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 no. What? That was way too civil. This is a battle of the boards. Wait till we get to receive yeah, I need, just, I need just arguments. Wait. I need insults flying at each other. That was way too civil well, for the first position group. Now, look at all the different colors here on this one. Okay, yeah. and We're I, gonna I think, be I think that fun. first name on the list is probably where this conversation should start. We're running backs here? <laughs> yep. And the guy up at the top, Travis Etienne. Well, he's our both of our RB1. But, yeah, but... I don't have a first-round grade on him. Is that what we're getting at? In, in Kyle does. Yeah. I have him as the, the, literally the highest second-round grade you can have. But Kyle has him two spots higher. I mean, okay, wait, let's do this. I mean, I have some concerns about Travis Etienne, and we can talk about maybe why I should be higher on them. What do, what do you have for me on Etienne? Well, I, I think the thing with Etienne that stands out the most to me is – if you want to have questions about his vision a little bit relative to the other backs at the top, specifically Najee Harris, that's fine. But Travis, his evolution as pass catcher, the explosiveness that he brings, the size and contact balance that he has, mm-hmm. I think that's going to cover him a lot. Where Maybe he's going to make the wrong read in the backfield when he presses the line of scrimmage from time to time. But I think he, he should have ample explosive plays. Mm-hmm. And, and as a guy who can be a three-down running back, I thought he graded consistently enough across the board for me uh, that he could grade out as a first-round grade. I have him at an 86 out of 100. Uh, that cutoff for first-round grades uh, with our evaluation process is an 85. And I have him at 84, so I don't not like Travis Etienne. He's no, my RB1. I don't like him at all. I'm a big fan of Travis <laughs> Etienne, potentially a Buffalo Bill when this is all said and done. But uh, – I guess for me, the reasons why I withheld the first-round grade from ETN is Kyle alluded to it a bit there. I think it's not necessarily vision. It's more decision-making. I think he knows where to go. There are just times where it's either he's too antsy to hit the hole and he's not patient enough to allow blocks to develop, and then there's other times where I feel like he wants to explore some side doors instead of taking what's right in front of him. So I think he has to find that balance a little bit. And I just don't love him in pass protection. And, and that's a big deal in the NFL, right? You, you have to be able to 
help your team on every single down, in which Travis Etienne has blossomed wonderfully as a running back and, re- and receiver. It's the, the catching the football out of the backfield where, or excuse me, pass blocking, where I really get hung up on claiming him as a true three-down guy. So let me ask you this. Can you think of any players who have learned and modeled their style of play to remove some of those concerns that you have with Travis Etienne as far as if you want to use the, the phrasing of decision-making or discipline to stay, quote-unquote, on schedule with his runs, whatever that may be. I got you're going to bring up Joe Mixon. That's not who I'm going to okay, bring up. Okay, go for it. Marlon Mack. That's fair. You remember yeah, what was he was like? Yeah, I was warm on Marlon yep. Mack, yes. Yeah. So th- it can be done. It's not a guarantee that it'll right. happen. Right, right. Um, so I, I guess if you want to extrapolate the ceiling out of Travis Etienne, assuming that that evolution takes place, that would be a place that you could point to and say, listen, this is a guy who had the same kind of tendencies of getting off script, looking to cut, the, cut out the back door a little yeah. too often, trying to balance outside yeah. and string stuff out, trusting his speed a little too much. Right. It can be done. But what I like about Etienne is he does give – he's not just a, a satellite running back, right? He's 215 pounds. Right. right. So it's he's – Got speed, explosiveness, contact balance, and power. There's a, the package here, there's a lot to like. I'm a big fan. I guess you're more willing to buy into some of the questions that bump him to a first-round grade than well, I don't. And one of the questions that we've had a bunch on the show when we've been doing the live shows on the podcast has been, you know, how many running backs are going to go in the first round, right? And we've had this conversation. In your, on your board, Kyle, you would feel comfortable with Travis Etienne going in the first round, right? Yep. It, that's the difference between you two if because we, we did those prop bet conversations, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, we have this ongoing show bet about how many running backs are going to go in the first round mm-hmm. and, and Kyle smiling because he feels like this is a, this is a lock there on Thursday. But for, for you, Kyle, the difference is if Travis Etienne comes off the board on Thursday night, you're going to feel okay with that where Joe might be like, Oh, I'm not so sure. Well, I think here's an important distinguishment to make is I only have 24 first round grades. In total. So in total. So I have Najee Harris at an 84 and a half, which is literally as low as you can go or as high as you can go and not be a first round grade. And then I have Javante Williams at an 84. So both of those guys in my top 32 players, I just not give them first round valuations and, and where you specify that. And it's really hard when you're not grading for a team, right? But if you're a team and your board runs out of first round values before you get your first round pick on the clock, Maybe that's when you explore a potential trade back into the early portions of day two so that when you do decide to draft the player, it's more appropriate value for the valuation of the player versus the asset you're spending. The Maybe that's why a third of the league is trying to trade down right now because they don't have a, a full board of, of first-round grades. I'm looking at the, the screen here, and both of you guys have your grades kind of side-by-side side with each other, and it takes a little bit before we see the first, and you guys have them color-coded based on the, the round grade that you give. Mm-hmm. It takes a little bit before there's a, a discrepancy there other than the Travis Etienne conversation. So is there anybody there after Etienne in that top group that you guys want to discuss, or do we go to the next guy in which there's a, 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 strat con, a strat contrast from you we, guys? We stay pretty chalk through the first six. Right. But. Right. Day three is going to get weird. Yeah. But let's acknowledge the, the, the day one and day mm-hmm. two guys as, as Travis Etienne is both of our top backs. Yep. You have the same evaluation on Najee and Javante. Who do you have higher? Najee. Najee. Better okay. I have Najee Harris as yeah. my second running back as well. Javante Williams is three. Michael Carter is four. Kenneth Gainwell is five. Trey Sermon is six. Good player, that Trey Sermon. Trey Sermon's going to be a steal for yeah. somebody. He's the, the fallback. In, in the guy. third round. Right. Inside split zone. In between the tackles, yep. you know, he's not that super productive as a pass catcher, but that's why he's going to be a guy right. who goes in the third like round because he's going to be more of a committee-type guy. If you want Javante Williams in the top 40, 
the fallback is Trey Sermon. And yep. You get a lot of those yep. same and characteristics. You, you'll get him yeah. between 75 and 100 yeah. and get a really good player. Yeah. Uh, yeah, things get a little weird here. Ramondre Stevenson, no respect yep. for you. Listen. Explain yourself. Um, okay, so we're, we're quite different here. I think yes. you have him as a three and I have him as a five. Yes. Yeah. Big, Let the battle come so, in. So I'll recognize big and pretty explosive for his size. Like you don't normally see guys. He's like 235-ish. And he came down to the senior bowl at 227. Yeah. yeah, so big guy has some juice to him, right? Very limited sample size at Oklahoma. And this type of back is so easy to find. Like, you're going to say that easy. big and fast is not oh easy to find, but it's just like, oh my goodness. I, I, big running backs like this, they don't move the needle for me. Like, I, is, he, is he really a guy that, he's not the fallback. He's not the Trey Sermon What did guy. you just get done whinging about with Travis Etienne? Pass protection. Ramondre Stevens is one right? of the better pass protectors in this sure. year's class. You get short He's yardage boring. value. You get He's red a zone value. Player. You get pass protection. Look, Garrett Blunt is old news in the NFL. Is, is converting third and twos so that you can run out the clock and win a football game boring football? I can find that guy every single guess, year. Like Garrett Blunt Trey had himself Sermon, a nice little Chris career, Evans. didn't he? And if he didn't cold clock somebody on the sideline when he was in college, I guarantee he wouldn't have been undrafted the way that he was. I just feel like this is a a very specific type player. If you're Tennessee, if you're yeah. Atlanta, if you're Miami, maybe to an extent. Yeah. Those types of teams, that's that's where this is appealing. And I just don't think he's got a big time yeah, valuation. Don't, don't draft him to play in wide zone in San Francisco. Correct. Or backed up Dalvin Cook. Like that's not gonna be a, a successful model for you. But th- once you get into the late day two and early day three, these are guys who I think can be scheme specific type starters. Yeah. And I think Ramondre Stevenson. If he plays in the 220s, as compared to, I think he was built at 240 on the Oklahoma Massive, roster. Right. He, he, he loved that circle button, man. He hit mm-hmm. the spin move every You're damn every, right he did. every yeah, possession. He, did. <laughs> he hit it at least once, whether yeah. it worked or not. So, like, if he plays more to his physicality a little bit as a runner, I think he can be a little more consistent to not try to be so finesse, even though he has lightness on his feet mm-hmm. for somebody of his stature. I think he can be a scheme-specific early down back in a stable. I just happen to grade him as a fringe late day two, early right. day three guy, because you're getting third down value out of a power back, which is pretty rare. I think we both understand the skill set. You are just, you have a higher valuation on it than I do. Correct. Is that it at the running back position? No. Is there anybody else that we... We need to talk about Chris Evans, not Captain America Chris Evans. University well, of Michigan. Well, I mean, I mean, spoilers, I mean, but, you know. No longer No Captain longer America. Captain America, yeah. but yeah. You've got a 71 and a half. Mm-hmm. You have a 74. I have a 74. Yep. If I was going to take any day three back yeah. and roll the dice, it's Chris Evans. His athletic profile is phenomenal. He's got low tread on the tires. He was in academically ineligible in 2019, and I think he had 25 touches in 2020. Yeah. So you haven't seen him in a couple of years. Right. But for a guy who's a potentially physical runner, not having wear and tear on your body is not necessarily a bad thing. He's shown in flashes, I think his career high in touches or in carries was like 116 or something like that. He's yeah. not been a featured back at Michigan. But the athletic profile is phenomenal, and he can catch the football. So what's, what's the sticking point? Is it just sample size, or why are we so low? You said that if there's a back you would take on day three that you would take a swing at, it would be Chris Evans, which I'm completely comfortable with. You have him damn near the third round with the grades and so i I feel like if i'm going to take a swing i'm totally comfortable taking it more mid to late 
day three. And so I, I recognize the sleeper potential here. I think there's obvious physical traits to be excited about. And when he did touch the football, he, he was very productive. But that's just rich. That's, I mean, to, to have that type of evaluation on it, that's where I get hung up. So, yeah, fifth round, sixth round, maybe the fifth round, more sixth round for me. I just think it's too rich. And then we do need to talk about Khalil Herbert. Yeah, so why don't, what don't tell, you like tell about... me why I'm wrong. Oh, boy. So, so for, con- for context, yes. you, have a 70, you have Khalil Herbert rated higher than I have Chris Evans graded. Right, it would make sense because he's you know more productive and and we've seen him more productive. Chris Evans hasn't played. Of course, he's going to be more productive. Well, that's than kind a guy of the issue. Wasn't. He hasn't. He's academically ineligible. Busy saving the world. Yeah, how many times he saved New York? <laughs> Plenty. From a lot. Alien Imagine Army. thinking I've Through seen this movie. Uh, oh, that's right. A pop culture <laughs> reference. Should have known better. Khalil Herbert. Okay. Very elusive to me. Very good in terms of decision-making and contact balance. So when you have vision and contact balance, that sets your floor as a running back. Those are my two most important traits. And I think he is definitely above average in both of those categories. I wish he was a little bit more explosive for the style of back He's not that he even is. as explosive as what he tested at. Okay, well, all we have to go on is the numbers that we were given. So we can play that game for everybody. I just okay, feel let's like, talk about it with Chris Evans then. I don't have a problem with Chris Evans. I just have. Then why do you have? Why do you have Khalil Herbert it. rated it higher? It didn't take long, but we found the first sticking point of, of the whole show. You guys, are gonna, you guys are just going to argue this into oblivion. This is great. Chris Evans is 5'11", 216. Khalil Herbert checked in at five eight and two hundred ten pounds, and Chris Evans tested better at everything. He just didn't play because he was academically ineligible in two thousand nineteen. Right in. Khalil Herbert did and was extremely productive at Virginia Tech. They played Tech. wide zone the and he first ran running back under wide Justin open holes and I saw him get caught yards. from behind like 88 out of 9 he times. He has the he got second highest field. yards per carry in this class against eight-man boxes, second only to Trey Sermon. I wish I could just go behind the bar here and just grab a thing of popcorn and just, just enjoy There's it. There's a couple beverages back there if you'd be interested. <laughs> uh, do, we, do we transition now to, to wide receivers? I don't it... see anything else that's going to trigger me and like <laughs> it certainly feels like, like we, we, we found the two that, that Kyle likes big plotting power backs. What can we say in the year 2021? Lord, you gonna take that? <laughs> I, I guess, I guess so. We no, okay, the, the thing, here, and this is what I will say about I'm Kyle. biting my tongue. Kyle's running back takes are outstanding. He, he has more hits on running backs than anybody I know. And whenever we disagree on running backs, I'd be lying if I said I didn't get a little nervous. So it concerns you a little bit the way, of course, yeah, okay, okay, of course it does. <laughs> Yeah, All look right. at the hits from Kyle. You, fair, no, you, fair, you fair, would fair. Know. RockAuto.com is a family business that's been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They've got everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand, specifications, and prices that you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why would you spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Make sure you write locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. They have amazing selection reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need over at rockauto.com.
Um, okay, wide receiver page, a little mm. bit uh, lengthier, more guys to go through, and I'm scrolling, you know, you're scrolling through and I'm looking at some of the, the ones that I think are, are the this biggest. This is the one right here. These, well, these, I, two. I, this, these two. This one's pretty interesting up here as well, and maybe maybe we start the conversation oh, right with, here? With, 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 with that guy. Mr. Rashad Bateman. Rashad Bateman. We've done this. Game in 80, I, 82? Yeah. Come on. What's See, the now I'm going to be back into a corner making it like I don't like Rashad He's mad at Bateman. me. It's his grade. It's as if I put the grade up there. You okay. graded the player. Okay, Tom, 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 let's, let's, we're going to be civil to start. And if, yeah. if we need to get hostile, we can get hostile. 82. Mm-hmm. What's the concern? Was the 2020 versus 2019 something that, that stood out to you because he was phenomenal in 2019? Right. So that, and we talked, we, when we had this conversation before, like I said, I didn't spend much time on the 2019 tape. I focused my efforts on the 2020 tape because I had plenty of it to look at. And so I didn't think I came away with a guy that was overly dynamic. Like I, his testing was crazy to me. I didn't expect him to be that athletic, that explosive at that size. And so when you marry that with what you saw in 2020 and you didn't see the 2019 tape, maybe I don't have the full picture on him. Well, no, he did have COVID, and that was something that he had coming into the season. So that's something that could have potentially taken a toll on his body. And that's, that is the big wild card for this year's evaluation altogether between the incomplete draft process and players who were directly impacted by COVID who maybe were not operating at 100% capacity but were cleared to play – it makes this, you know, the, the, the range of outcomes for every player is already so wide. And then you add in the ultimate unpredictable variable it, on top of it. It, it makes so, it even more of the roll of the dice than it already is, right? Chris, what I would like to talk about is we're starting to see a trend here with these blue chip grades that are being given out. Joe has two top 10 valuations yeah. at the top he, of this class. He does, he does I think have I'm, that. I yes. think I'm just a little stingy. Like, I don't know what you gave out on a trait-by-trait trait basis, but I can tell you from my experience, I didn't give out a lot of 10 out of 10s in mm-hmm. traits. Uh, Jalen Waddle, I know, got at least one, if not two for me, but he still finished with he an 89 out of 100. So was that, is that something that you think you gave out reasonably well, not necessarily just with these two wide receivers? We're talking about Jalen Waddle and Jamar Chase – who we both have Jalen Waddle as our number one rated wide receiver in this year's class. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of tens that I handed out, but with Jalen Waddle and two of our traits being big playability and run after catch, those are tens. I mean, I mean, I, I, there's nothing more scary to me than playing up against Jalen Waddle. I mean, unbelievable explosiveness, and he's a true alpha, and I love that. Like, he's not the biggest receiver, but he plays big, and he gives you big playability and creative after the catch and I just love how often he was able to win at the catch point down the field not because he didn't separate but because Mac Jones just didn't have the arm to get it to him when he had you know five six seven steps on guys right so you saw him adjust and come back and work to the football so I had three tens on Jalen Waddle's valuation which Which is is more than me (laughs) I yeah no I had three as well I'm sorry I missed one number five there uh, I, I wish from Jalen's perspective, even though I had him in the 89 out of 100, that's my fourth highest graded player in this year's process, mm-hmm. uh, draft process, number one wide receiver. I wish his, his catch point stuff as far as hands when his, hand, when his catch radius was tested, when he had to go down and dig stuff out low, or he had to elevate high and catch away from his body when he was square to the football. Mm-hmm. Those were the instances for Jalen Waddle where 
you saw some inconsistencies with his length and his hands. And I really wish he was better in that phase because that was what prevented me from giving him that blue chip grade that you still managed to find for him. I'll tell you what. If I was a defense and there was one wide receiver in this year's draft class that I wouldn't want to face, it would be Jalen Waddle. And that, to me, he's the one. He's that one guy that, you know, Jamar Chase, we can, we can figure it out a little bit. And I love Jamar Chase. He's also got a top 10 grade for me. But Jalen Waddle's that one that you just might not have anybody that can run with him. And you have to commit two guys. Now it changes your entire scheme. Because if you run him vertical, you can't play high post. No. You, you cannot leave him one-on-one. No. And, and run him. Even if they put him in the slot, which he, he lined up predominantly in the slot at Alabama. Mm-hmm. You run slot fade with all that green grass to run to and, and his tracking skills down the field, it's phenomenal. So we're pretty chalked through the top of the order as far as... Uh, yeah, everything seems reasonable between you guys. Do we get to the... I see Kyle's mouse cursor moving to, to the... Yeah, I'm identifying who, who we got some... Who, who you're interested in maybe having a well, conversation there, about. There is the offensive player that we have the biggest discrepancy on right here. In the entire class. So this is it. This is offensively. I, don't, I haven't looked at defense, but offensively, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure we, the two highest divided players we have are Amari Rogers from Clemson and Dwayne Eskridge from Western Michigan. Both of which you're way higher than me. I am. I'm yes. in on both these guys. Okay. As day two guys, yeah. I think that's clear. I've got a ton of round two wide receivers. I've got eight wide receivers in this year's class that have second round valuations okay. as players. So you talk about the dynamics of. Do you want to wait until day two to get a wide receiver? There should be a lot of value here, even though some of these guys, like Kadarius Toney, may end up, and Elijah Moore, may come up off the board in the first round. But Dwayne Eskridge, for me, lightning explosive quick. There's special teams value here. There's Mm -hmm. untapped potential. I understand he's an older rookie. He's going to be 24 years old this season? Yeah, maybe 25. So he's an older rookie, and I understand that. But... It'd be different if you were drafting a guy to be the featured piece of your offense. Mm-hmm. He's For me, he's more of a complimentary piece, and he's not in the conversation to be a first-round prospect. So I'm totally comfortable on day two drafting this kind of player who he can win in the short game, he can win in the screen game, he can win vertically down the field, he's very elusive, and he's got special teams value. And he put guys in blenders at the Senior Bowl, which was the mm-hmm. only showcase that we had this year outside of any team's given schedule to showcase what they had. Yeah. I think he's just a late bloomer, right? So he's a converted cornerback, an older prospect, slot-only type guy. And I think his best ability is his speed. And, and that creates a lot of challenges because it's hard for guys to run with him. But I just feel like for a player that isn't this late in his football career, I'm not sure that the route running is going to come. I'm not sure that the ball skills are going to be consistent. And so to me, he's more like, okay, a speed guy, fourth round, that works for me. If I'm talking about a second-round player, this is a guy that I think could be a featured part of my offense, a guy that's going to – we're going to target 90 to 110 times a year in 11 personnel as my slot receiver, and I just don't know that I see the consistency. And with that combined with the inexperience in ball skills, I just think are an issue, I don't know that I'm going to get the, the most out of a player like now, that. Now, I would like to interject here. I do have him as my 12th rated wide receiver in this mm-hmm. year's class. So it's more – you say second round grade, and I understand it's it's that's what I would value the player at. Yeah. But I have eleven guys in front of him at the wide receiver position alone. Mm-hmm. It's just I think it's a deep wide receiver class. Now, if this was not a deep wide receiver class and he was wide receiver six, and I had a second round valuation on him, 
I can understand more of what you were saying, but I'm comfortable with it because I look at the rest of the way the board stacks and I still have Diami Brown. I still have Ross St. Brown. I still have Kadarius Tony. I still have Rondell Moore, Amari Rogers, Nico Collins. Like I still have these names, never mind the first round guys that yeah. we either glossed over or didn't even talk about. Yeah, which you have five of. Correct. So that, that, yeah. He gives me, there's always this receiver at the senior bowl, whether it's Braxton Penny Miller Hart or Braxton Miller. Yeah, Braxton you know, I was going to say Braxton Miller. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, when it comes time to uncover in the NFL, you know, the nuance and technique that's required, plus the ball skills, I don't know. I just, I felt like some of those big plays at Western Michigan was him just kind of running a slant route and gaining Space. a step. And then yeah. you, they First or second a bad, window. Yeah, bad angle and he's gone for 70 yards. I'm like, well, is this really going to work like that in the NFL? Depends on what else is around him. I would guarantee if he's your number two option and you're relying on him on the outside to beat press man coverage, it's probably going to be a losing battle. Right. But if you can go 10, 11 personnel and you can space the field out and you have other threats and he's getting one-on-one or you're getting your prompting zone coverages with how you're attacking the field, yeah, I think he can create after the catch in zone. And, then, and some guys are just more consistent zone beaters than they are defeating press man coverage or winning on the outside. I don't think he's an outside guy. But I think he is a slot receiver, and I think mm-hmm. he can be a really good one depending on the environment that he lands in. And that's the hardest part about what we do in the pre-draft process is you're giving valuations to players and prognosticating players without knowing where they're going or what else they're going to have to work with around So the other guy that we disagree on heavily here, and I hate to say disagree because I think we identify the skill set the same. Yeah. It's the valuation on the that's skill set. Which is yeah. two different things. Right. Correct. Yeah. And so Amari Rodgers from Clemson, and it feels, I feel weird because I'm like, I like Amari Rodgers. I just don't value him as much as you do. So you want to set the, the, state, so, the table here? Yeah, Amari Rodgers, and, and this was a player who played in 2019 after tearing his ACL in March mm-hmm. of that spring. Mm-hmm. And you watched him play, and it's like, man, like he's got good chemistry with Trevor, but he doesn't really have any pop. Mm-hmm. Well, then he comes back this year, and all of a sudden he's got the pop back because he's fully recovered from the ACL that he played through the recovery process on in 2019. He played 13 games that year. Uh, he ran in the 4-4s. He's 5'10", 5'9 210 pounds, built like a running back. And if I want one of those slot receivers who's going to win over the middle or is going to win in the shallow areas with that bubble when they run RPO and get them the ball out quick in, in two-over-two two, two two scenarios on the boundary – I want a guy who has some density to them mm-hmm. so that they can take hits and create missed tackles in more ways than one. And, and when I watch Amari Rodgers and I look at his build, he's going to be a bear for nickel corners to tackle because mm-hmm. traditionally, a lot of, unless you're getting a safety roll down in there, right. a lot mm-hmm. of those nickel corners are smaller guys because they're not big or long and strong enough to play on the outside. So you take some of these smaller nickel corners and you ask them to shadow him and step up and tackle him after he's caught the football in the quick game, I don't think they're going to be able to do it. Right. And now that we know that we've seen he's got his explosiveness back, I'm ready to buy in on Amari Rodgers mm-hmm. as another one of these guys that if you miss on Kadarius Toney mm-hmm. and you miss on Rondale Moore, I'm perfectly fine taking Amari yeah. Rodgers later in the, se- in the, the late second round yeah. and feeling like I got away with a comparable player. Yeah, and I have him low third round. So, like, I def- everything you said I agree with. I, I just do feel like... He benefited from being such a volume target for for Clemson, and he made a lot of plays. And I mean, a lot of a lot of what they did. Like there, in 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 some ways, you can say that the offense kind of ran through Amari Rodgers with how yeah. important he was. Him and, those, and Travis Etienne, yeah, those shallow routes and stuff. Yeah, it kind of maybe goes back to what we talked about with Trevor Lawrence in the opening. But um, 
because I think those dynamics helped him, and because I think that he is, there, things have to be right around him to kind of be that true volume receiver. Not that he'll ever be that in the NFL, but a guy that you really prioritize touches for. I just put the low third round evaluation on where you. I think you're you're more apt to believe in him as a player that I think he can be a playmaker. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's more relying on other factors, and I think that's where the differentiation comes from. So are we cool to move on to another position? Because this, yeah. this next one I'm, I'm interested in because I, I talk draft with you guys more than anybody else, and this is a position that I don't think is going to have a lot of discrepancy. I haven't seen your players side by side with one another. And, and yeah, <laughs> I'm looking at it. There isn't a whole lot of discrepancy. You guys feel very similarly about all of these players. Okay, so the tight the end Tight ends? Yeah. yeah. You, uh, you want to read through our collective because I don't think we have them ordered differently at all from top to bottom? Yeah, so we have Kyle Pitts, tight end one from Florida. Both with a top 10. Top 10. Yeah, grade, top 10 yeah. valuation. Yep. Pat Fryermuth, Penn State, tight end, number two. Then we both have Tommy Tremble, Notre Dame as tight end three. Yes. Brevin Jordan, Miami, tight end four. Yes. Hunter Long, tight end, Boston College, five. Those this, are the, this the same scenario for you because you have two grades similarly yep. on, on Jordan and so, Tremble. So Tremble and Jordan finished with the same evaluation grade for me, and it was really just a matter of who can you do more with. Tremble. And Tremble. Not, <laughs> no question. Right. He's raw, he's a little in, inexperienced, and he's a little unproductive in the passing game. I think he's got the athletic profile to really blossom as a route runner, but you watch him kick guys' butts up front as a run blocker, you watch him, whether he's one by one off the offensive tackle and he's inserting across the set or he's fold blocking inside, rolling up on linebackers and spilling into their lap. Or, you know, a lot of the times they, they kind of ran that split action and leaked him out in the flat. And that's how he got some of his targets in the passing game. Uh, but he had a couple opportunities to try and get down the field. And when he did, linebackers couldn't run. Whereas Brevin Jordan... A little bit more undersized, more mm-hmm. of a true H, the mm-hmm. Janu Smith, Gerald Everett type of player that I just don't think you're ever going to see him with his hand in the dirt. And I don't think he's as dynamic as maybe we thought he was to play as an F or a big slide at tight end who's playing out in the slot. You know who was like that in college, what you described? Jason or Travis Kelsey and George Kittle. That's what those guys did. High effort, crazy intense blockers, leak them out, were super competitive after the catch, had some juice about them. Now they're the best tight ends in the game. I'm not saying – I, tra- I, tra- I, I was just going to say, you know I'm what you're doing. You know saying, what you're setting yourself up for. But there is a part of me – there's a part of me that says, man. He did set himself up. But this, isn't, that, this, but this isn't the first time. We did, we've done a podcast where you yep. said the same yep. exact thing. And I'm going to back Joe here. Is I see the same potential. Not that it's a lock. Not that it's a guarantee. Not that it's going to happen. But – his athletic profile is that of the kind of right. tight end that profiles as a guy who gets into the league and all of a sudden is a better player. He was caught behind Cole Komet, who was a second-round pick, and they had Michael Mayer, who's a five-star freshman tight end who's get he already got the Baby Gronk nickname, who played in front of him at Notre Dame this past year. George Kittle was a five. Travis Kelsey was a three. If the NFL thought that these guys were going to be the best tight ends of our time, they would have been high first-round picks. So. Fair, 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 fair. We uh, only got a couple minutes left, so let's go to, only through, got a to the last two left. positions here. We're just here. started, Chris. We'll go, we'll go through here, and go. And you're looking at uh, offensive tackles now. Go ahead. Where, where's the, where's the, the big difference here between you guys? So of the players that we mutually graded, there's not too much discrepancy. There, there's, yeah, there's what J- do you see here? What's uh, standing out? Jalen Mayfield. Mayfield is probably the one. 
And I would say that that's because you held firm a little bit more after the disaster and I that came, was his pro day. I came down. Right. You know, I came down, and, and you watched him play in 2019, and you could see he was oozing with potential. Mm-hmm. And then he, he gave us a, a very small sample size in 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the pro day and the pre-draft process for him has been an absolute train wreck. Right. Like, it's been really bad. So I've adjusted my grade and come down based on the jump, looked promising right but it wasn't big enough to sell mm-hmm. you and then it's not the fact that he tested poorly right because i think you watch him on tv you see he has some athletic potential right. to work with it's why did you test so poorly across the entire board when you had all this time mm-hmm. to prepare and it, it asked questions about what was your process like how yeah. seriously did you take the process yeah. i don't know what that's like but i know amongst this offensive line class with all these other offensive linemen who are going to be available you know, and I have Sewell, Jenkins, Slater, Darisol, and I do have Liam Eichenberg graded in front of him as well. And then I have Sam Cosme and Dylan Radunz breathing right up his neck who are a half a point behind him. It, it, there's just a lot yeah. here. And some people think he's going to kick inside to guard too. Might need to. I think the challenge is if you had, you know, obviously I think we can all agree that the, the limited games he played in 2020, he was really good. Mm-hmm. Like, great tape in my mind. But it was a small sample size and then bad testing. If it was that same caliber of tape, but good testing, you're like, oh, yeah. Right. It's there. It it can help sell you on it. But now you start to doubt the sample size. And and he's a a young player, too. Yes. So, you know, the the fact that he does not have the body of work relative to some of these multi-year starters is concerning. And and let's let's talk about Rayshon Slater and Penny Sewell because we're talking about small sample sizes. Those two guys, Mm -hmm. uh, Slater's more experienced than Penny Sewell. But they both did well for their pre-draft processes, and it kind of reaffirmed what you thought you saw on tape with both of those guys. So we both have Penny Sewell as OT1. Mm-hmm. We both have top 10 valuations on him as a player. We both also have three first-round valuations, not in the same order, but Tevin Jenkins, Rayshon Slater, Christian Darisol. And then you start getting into the round two and round three guys where it gets a little bit more messy. I, I was just looking to see what Joe's final grade was on Tevin Jenkins because I don't think there's ever been a pre-show podcast discussion that has been more frequent than Joe and I talking about Tevin Jenkins. So I just wanted to see where... Oh, when I'm late getting into the Zoom Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's when we talk about the Mets and Tevin Jenkins. Yeah, that's right? exactly what happens. Uh, anybody here or do we want to go to the last group? Let's just go to the interior offensive line unless Joe has anything that he wants to gripe No, you know, him. if you had a moment, and I, I, I'm not super low on Spencer Brown, the offensive tackle from Northern Iowa, but we are three and a half points different. Mm-hmm sell me on him a little bit as that third-round developmental starter type guy. Because yeah, I thought he was really inconsistent. Like, lanky frame, wide base. He was, you but know? We, like, what did you think about Brian O'Neill when he came out of Pittsburgh? Oh, you know I didn't like Brian O'Neill. Yeah, and I hated Brian O'Neill yeah. coming out of Pittsburgh as a prospect, right. not as a person. Let's sure, be sure, completely sure. clear no, here. Like, so, so we're learning, right? <laughs> yes. And, and I felt like I did that with Sam Cosby this yeah. year. Yeah, and Spencer Brown has everything you can't coach mm-hmm. in an offensive tackle prospect. He has length, he has mm-hmm. size, he has, letith- has, has athleticism, he carries his weight, he's screaming well. He's one of those tackles that's built like a tight end. He's just like a juiced up, right. massive one. Right. Right? So those kinds of guys you have seen, especially coming out of northern Iowa, mm-hmm. he's untapped potential. He's oozing with untapped potential. And you saw some of the pass sets that he took at the Senior Bowl, and they were pretty sloppy. And then some of the other pass sets that he took when he kept that half-man relationship mm-hmm. and took that proper angle to widen that angle to prevent guys from coming back and bending the inside shoulder and dipping around him on the outside. But he kept that relationship appropriate so he didn't produce that swinging gate dynamic where he's stepping out to meet guys and then they're cutting back across his face. 
there's something here to work with. Yeah. And if you have all of those uncoachables, and I guarantee you all the offensive line coaches in the NFL would tell you this too, you can work on the things that he's not good at, but yeah. you can't teach him the things that he has that others don't. I, I mean, I don't, I'm not super low on him, but it was notable that how much higher you had. I think he's a good developmental type player. Let's do this group real quick here. Interior offensive line. Is there one player in particular that you guys want to battle out before we close up this offensive conversation? And again, the defense is coming tomorrow, but is there one player in particular? So we've, we've had the Kendrick Green conversation, yep. right? So like, go listen to every episode of Draft Dudes to find that. <laughs> this is what I'll ask you. I want to go right to the top. I want to go right to the top with Elijah Vera Tucker. And I, I'm not trying to back you into a corner and, and talk down on Vera Tucker. But yep. that's exactly what he's going to do. But dude, I love this tape. I always square versatility, like good, good in space. Like I thought he was technically refined and he was, I was expecting a, like, a, I wouldn't say like just a technician, but I got some power out of him. So mm-hmm. Why why don't we have a first round grade on ABT? Maybe I just watched the wrong game first and watched that Oregon game with Kayvon oh. Thibodeau who you know, ran the loops around him and I know he wasn't fully healthy in yeah. that game, right? right. So, so but that was the first taste that I had of Elijah Vera Tucker. Yeah. And then I started digging in and then I went back and watched some of the 2019 stuff when he was playing inside at guard next to Austin Jackson. I'm like, I really like his tape inside at guard more so than what he put on tape in 2020. Now, the fact that he played comparably well in 2020 at offensive tackle versus what he did in 2019 at offensive guard, bodes extremely well for every team across the NFL having some form of a landing spot, potentially, yeah. for Elijah Vera Tucker. Like, that, you feel really good about that. Yeah. But, you know, as far as just valuing him, I think that first impression that I had probably stuck with me all throughout his evaluation, and it had me questioning, you know, can he play outside? And I, I evaluated him as an interior offensive lineman. Uh, thought the 2019 Notre Dame game was his best tape yeah. at, at offensive guard. Uh, I like what he can do, but I think he's just a little bit in between because he's fluid and he's mobile uh, and he's powerful, but he's, I think, 308 was what he came in at his pro day at. So I'd love to see a player like that playing with those dynamics at 320 instead of 308. Sounds like you think he's more scheme-specific. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. And I think it's also interesting to note here, that's the only first-round grade you have at this position. So the, other than this, you guys are very similar in the way that you view the top of this group. Yeah. it's. I mean, we, we have Aaron Banks and Ben Cleveland swapped at, like, the bottom portions of our top 10 respective yeah. interior offensive linemen. I would also note... Uh, I have Alex Leatherwood, and I also have Jackson Carmen considered as interior offensive linemen in this year's class. Some people think those guys will play offensive, Same. Or, or have them as interior offensive linemen. Some people think they'll play offensive tackle. Gentlemen, I, it wasn't a lot of battling. I didn't. I, it wasn't a heated what are you discussion. Talking about? I mean, I wanted... I'm about to battle you right now. All right, so before that happens, we're going to get out of here. Battle of the Boards, Offense Edition in the books. Tomorrow, the defense. 